I just put Erin on the spot and asked her if she'd read uh, scripture for us this morning, our passage, and she agreed. <laughs> Thank you. This is the Gospel of Luke. Luke 7, 36-50. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to dinner. Jesus went to his house and reclined at the table. A woman who had a low reputation in town came to the house. She had learned that Jesus was dining with the Pharisees, so she brought with her an alabaster jar of perfumed oil. She stood behind Jesus crying, and her tears fell on his feet. Then she dried his feet with her hair, kissed them, and anointed them with oil. When the Pharisee saw this, he said to himself, if this fellow were a prophet, he'd know who this woman is who is touching him and what a low reputation she has. In answer to the Pharisee's thoughts, Jesus said, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a creditor. One owed the creditor the equivalent of two years' wages, the other two months' wages. Both were unable to pay, so the creditor wrote off both debts. Which of them was more grateful to the moneylender? Simon answered, I suppose the one who owed more. Jesus said, you are right. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, see this woman, I came into your house, and you gave me no water to wash my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss of greeting, but she covered my feet with kisses. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with oil. For this reason, I tell you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. See how much she loves. But the one who is forgiven little, loves little. Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Those also sitting at the table began to ask among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Meanwhile, Jesus said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm going to get started. Oh, here. I could have put that up. Thank you for reading, Erin. So we have uh, an amazing movie that we're going to talk about in depth this morning. Not. Um, does anyone remember this movie? This is kind of one of our favorites in the house of uh, Snow White movies. Anybody, please. OK. All right, so a few folks, maybe on the younger side. What does that say about us? <laughs> Okay, this story is about uh, Snow White and her seven woodsmen. There's a, there is a young Snow White in it. There's also a young prince who's been bewitched by the queen who wants to marry him, who's effectively turned him into a human, go uh, human golden retriever, like a human golden retriever. And this is one of our most hilarious scenes. I wish we could play it, but I think we'd get shut down for streaming. Um, where he says, I long for the nectar of her skin. It's just, he's, yeah, I guess you have to see it. Maybe go watch it. There's a jealous queen, um, and that's Julia Roberts, surprisingly, beautiful woman, um, who's obsessed with uh, a mirror that is telling her unwanted news. Who is the fairest one of all? And she hears news that she hasn't heard before and wasn't really especially happy about, 
which led to disastrous consequences in the movie. It's a fun show. Now, our passage doesn't actually have an evil mirror, um, but it does have a metaphorical one, or at least the way that I read the text, um, and an invitation to look closely and see what is real. Um, so we're going to walk through the passage again, and I'm going to do it slowly, and I'm going to stop and just com make comments on the things that uh, stopped me as I was reading, things I wondered about that I got curious about. This is not a great slide. It's hard to see. Um, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to dinner, and Jesus went to his house and reclined at table. I stopped at reclined at table. I'm like, what does that actually look like? have the imagination of chairs and like, I, I didn't know. So this is an example which is harder to see. I think this might be uh, a better rendition where, where people actually reclined, elbow on the table, not polite in our society, but elbow on the table, feet stretched back, getting comfortable for a long conversation. Um, let's see. And a woman who had a low reputation in the town came to the house. She had learned that Jesus was dining with the Pharisee, and I stopped at the word, so. So, she brought with her an alabaster jar of perfumed oil. The so was what caught my, my attention. She heard where Jesus would be and determined to be there, and she brought a gift, and she was intent on getting close to him. And then the passage said, she stood behind Jesus crying, and her tears fell on his feet. Again, that, that sent me looking for pictures. I'm like, okay, that doesn't make sense because we sit with our legs under a table. How, how is she that close? That is she under the table? I just, I needed to see the picture. Um, and this was one of them that helped me see reclining and how she might have gotten close enough to him to actually weep on his feet. Um, she should, stood behind him crying, and her tears fell on his feet. She was uninvited, although in um, situations like this where there was a wealthy uh, man having and hosting a meal, people, and they were typically outside or under, um, under roof, but more external rooms, and others in the community wandered in and listened to the discussion, like they didn't have TV. Um, but there was interest in what this Jesus was saying, and it was honor that Jesus attended this man's house. And there she is, uninvited, determined to see Jesus, and the, we're left wondering why all the emotion. There was a, a, a disruption, and a, um, kind of an offensive disruption to a meal. Then she did something unheard of. Um, she dried his feet with her hair. She kissed his feet and anointed them with oil. Sounds like a scene. Um, what do we do with a scene? When the Pharisee saw this, he said to himself, if this fellow were a prophet, he'd know who this woman is who's touching him and what a low reputation she has. For the, for the Pharisee, the disruption of Jesus, well, of her behavior and Jesus' acceptance of her tears and her touch discredits Jesus in Simon's eyes. 
calls Jesus' credibility as a teacher, his identity into question for Simon. And Jesus answers Simon's thoughts. Simon, I have something to tell you. Um, Simon says, tell me, teacher. And then we get a story, um, which Jesus tells it a lot, tells stories. It's kind of subversive and probably super helpful for us. Um, two people owed money to a creditor. One owed the creditor the equivalent of two years' wages, the other two months' wages. Both were not able to pay. <clears throat> so the creditor wrote off both debts. And which was which of them was more grateful to the moneylender? <clears throat> Simon answered, I suppose the one who owed more. I suppose. Uh, it's like he's walking into a verbal trap and he kind of knows there's something here that he might not want to hear or there's a little caution, it seems to me. And Jesus said, well, yeah, you're right. And then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, see this woman or do you see this woman? Um, I came into your house, and you gave me no water to wash my feet. But she washed them with her tears and dried them with her hair. Close personal contact. You gave me no kiss of greeting, but she covered my feet with kisses. Close personal contact in kind of a public setting. Um, you didn't anoint my head with oil but she anointed my feet with oil. Jesus names the woman's behaviors as fitting the customs of hospitality, which Simon had neglected. And if Jesus is comparing them, and he kind of is in the story, um, or in his commentary, her behavior gets higher marks than Simon's. I wonder if how Simon felt here. Like, He's a host, got a bunch of people around, meals on the table. There's been this disruption, like a, kind of a scandalous disruption with a woman with her hair down, which means certain things. Um, and Jesus is telling Simon that the woman's behavior was more fitting as a host than Simon's behavior has been. I wonder how Simon felt. I mean, humiliation comes to mind, right? Um, anger, outrage, um, kill the messenger moment, I don't know. I wonder how she felt in this moment. And Jesus continues, for this reason I tell you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. And what struck me the most in all of that was not that sins would be forgiven because I'm accustomed to that concept with Jesus. But see how much she loves. See how much she loves. She enters a place she's not welcome, intent on encountering Jesus. There had to have been some hope there, a hope for something, acceptance, to be seen by him, to be received by him, to be welcomed, to not be sent away to see if he's really like what people are saying. Is he different than the others? And then Jesus continues, but the one who is forgiven little loves little. 
It's kind of the kicker for Simon. One who is forgiven little loves little. And Simon is not only indicted for his lack of hospitality, but for his lack of love. Attention moves away from Simon at this point, and, but I don't imagine that the impact of Jesus mirroring in that moment and his invitation to Simon to see the woman and his own state more clearly, I doubt that that left him very quickly. At least I hope not. I hope that's not the end of the story for Simon. I mean, I don't think my spiritual director, Nancy, says, yes, love does not coerce. So I, I, I receive this as a, kind of an invitation that Jesus showed Simon something. He caught him up short in something that he might not have been aware of um, and has a good intention for newness, for something to happen and emerge in Simon. There are reasons that Simon saw the way he did. Cultural, religious, social, relational realities, human reasons, Miranda, humans about humans, sorry. <laughs> human reasons that are just part of the way things are. We see significant differences in their situations, their stations in life. So I want to unpack that a little bit. Um, oh, there we are. Look, I said that. And I want to look at the cultural status, relational differences we see among Simon, the unnamed woman, and with Jesus. There are three. Um, so let's start with Simon. And, and this, these are not going to be rhetorical questions. These are real questions. I have answers. I have my own answers written down. But I want to see what you guys say. With Simon, let's start with Simon. What does Simon have going for him? Had status, definitely. He was a Pharisee, some sort of religious leader, concerned about law, observing the law, about right practice. These are, these are not bad things. Purity, doing the right thing, leading a well-ordered life. What other, what other things does Simon have going for him? Gender. Gender, definitely. In a patriarchal society, to be male is to be better than at least half the population. Eating and drinking, access to food, economic resources, not only that he could have it for himself, but that he was sharing it around. Other people were coming in. Yep. Education, Education definitely. Definitely an advantage. Um, any, other, any other thoughts? Of, I did pass around the passage so that you have it nearby if you want to look at it. Um, do you see anything else that Simon had going for him? He was friends with Jesus, yeah. He was on equal enough footing and leader enough to want to engage with Jesus, to get a better understanding of who Jesus was, and Jesus responded to the invitation. Anything else about his relational posture toward Jesus? Do you see anything there? Definitely. Thank you. So let's talk about the unnamed woman. What, is, uh, what does she have going on in the cultural status relational categories that we see? She's unnamed, which is always a favorite thing in scripture. 
there's the woman, she's unnamed. Um, <laughs> yes, anybody, any other comments? What about her status? Not so great side of the street. She has a low reputation. Mm -hmm. I would comment on that. <laughs> I'm not going to comment on that. Well, yeah, that's also a great question. Yeah. Exactly. No, there's a. There's a. Yes. Yes. That is a. That is a question mark. It is a question mark. Mm-hmm. Anything else we notice about her? Unnamed, low status, bad reputation. Why does she has perfumed oil? Mm -hmm. She has something, something very valuable in a very valuable vessel. Mm -hmm. She leads with her emotions. Definitely, her relational posture toward Jesus is vulnerable, emotional, risk taking. She could have got herself thrown out of there, which would have been more humiliation. She was determined to encounter Jesus, um, and she brought a gift with her. Um, and I, arguably, I, I would say that the, the biggest gift that she brought was her whole self. She brought this physical object, but she brought herself, her emotions, her body, her tears, her love, into the encounter. What about Jesus? What do we know about Jesus? Cultural, status, relational, that we see in this passage. Is it, he's, say it again. He's at ease, he's reclining, he's been invited to dinner, he's an honored guest. Mm -hmm. People want to hear from him. Um, his presence at that meal gives status to, to Simon, the Pharisee. It's kind of kudos to him. Um, he's a man in a patriarchal society. Advantage. He's also a truth teller in this moment. Um, he does the unexpected, which creates risk. Um, and in his encounters with people, he also upends the status quo. He kind of turns it on his head. He sets aside cultural, social, status, sensibilities in favor of something else, at least in this moment. Go ahead. Well, so he's actually like reversing the shame screen, so to speak. Mm -hmm. right? He's yes. actually not shaming the woman who I think everyone thinks should feel ashamed of herself. Yep. And then in the way he tells the story, he's kind of publicly shaming the slam. Yeah. Which is this reversal of shame and how they each respond to the shame is fascinating. Yes. This is not shame. Yeah, yep. Yes, it is. It's a very different dynamic. It's, it is a risky one. It gets him in trouble, but it's a beautiful, beautiful something. Jesus takes this woman's relational, social suffering and replaces it with connection, and he often offers Simon a mirror, which he may or may not like, just like Julia Roberts, the queen, did not like what was um, being offered to her or told back every time she asked, who is the fairest one in the land? So, I want to talk a little bit about suffering, connection, and a mirror. Um, suffering might seem a little overblown word for, for this woman, but I think it fits. 
here, and I also think it fits in, in a lot of our lives, in many of our lives, most of our lives. Um, I looked up St. Brene, because um, I, I had some quotes in my, in my journal, and I, I did some looking, but she says that in the absence of love and belonging, there is always suffering. Um, this woman was labeled as a sinner, a woman of low reputation. She was excluded socially. She was disconnected. Um, I was remembering this week that, um, and I had to go find, a quote, find the quote, but that our body, our brains don't actually recognize the difference between physical pain, emotional pain, pain is pain, and that there have even been studies that ibuprofen helps <laughs> with emotional pain because our, our brains register pain as pain, which I thought was kind of fascinating. Um, she stood behind Jesus in the moment when, when my first read through, I thought it's almost like a safe zone. Like she couldn't be ousted if she were near him. I also pictured like little kids, you know, when they are just, they've just lost it, where they go, the clinging on to legs. We've all experienced this. Many of us have experienced the clinging on and the crying of legs. Like they could just look fine. Everything could look fine. And the moment they see the safe person, they lose it. And they're holding on because they need something desperately. Um, yeah, she was weeping. There were tears enough to wash Jesus' feet, making a scene. She was a woman suffering who also had the courage to show up and let herself be seen in all her vulnerability because she had to see Jesus. There was something in her that had to get there. <sighs> She brought her whole self, her pain, her isolation, her brokenness, her lack of social status, her sin, her neediness, and placed all of herself at Jesus' feet in this moment. Um, and Jesus sees her. Jesus sees her. And he receives her gifts. Uh, tears, kisses, emotional display, the stuff of social scenes that, you know, are jarring. And he exchanges her suffering for connection. And I love this quote. It's a little long, but connection is the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued. When they can give and receive without judgment, and when they derive strength and sustenance from the relationship. I think she got that in that moment. I don't think Jesus was saying, oh, here are two people and uh, whose lives are better than each other. I don't think he was comparing Simon's life to her life. I think he was comparing Simon's behavior to her wholehearted uh, engagement with Jesus, being fully present. He saw her, he heard her, he valued her, and gives her public recognition, which is pretty remarkable. It was like, see how she loves. She's your example here. And Jesus saw Simon and called him by name. He called him out. He said, do you see this woman? And really, was he, he was questioning, do you see rightly? Not just this woman, but yourself. 
we're going to have a, um, we're going to turn to one another. And I have a couple questions I want us to look at. Because this was a really curious thing to me, because I don't think Jesus called him out in order to leave him, leave him in despair. I think Jesus called him out for his own good purposes in Simon's life. So I, let, let's take a minute. I'm doing David's favorite thing, which is small group discussion. You can say thank you. Um, just turn to the people around you, and let's take five minutes. And just engage with a couple of these questions. Pick, you know, what did he fail to do? We kind of know what he failed to do. But I, I was really interested in, like, what, what did it signal? What did, what did Simon's failure signal about how he viewed Jesus? And what doesn't Simon know about himself? I'm going to cut us off in five, so talk quickly. What doesn't Simon know about himself? Or what did, what, go ahead, John. Jesus sort of took over. It wasn't necessarily for him. He was invited. He went, and suddenly the spectacle happens. It also doesn't say that Simon invited him. One of his friends, but it could be. He should behave. But more like, yes. Containment.
that's the question for me because that, that the story stops and we don't actually see how Simon responds right we don't see how he integrated this or didn't integrate this we don't see whether he whether it became an, a work and an act of healing or not it's a good question Aaron thank you kids welcome back Just a couple more minutes. What I, Aaron and I said, we are people. Um, we're like Simon. 
like we are like Simon, most of us, many of us are like Simon. Because um, I don't really think Jesus was faulting Simon for all of the things that he had in his life in terms of privilege. I mean, you can't really do anything about that except use it well. Um, Simon is like us, we're like him, kind of good enough, sometimes broken, wounded, prone to blindness and self-interest, kind of bad off people who have a hard time looking in the mirror. Um, yeah, we have a hard time bringing our whole selves, emotions, bodies, intellect. We get stuck up here a lot, myself included. But we, my spiritual director, Nancy's like, all, you bring all of yourself, all of your accomplishments, all of your failings, all of the things that you carry in the world, all the beauty. We bring all of ourselves to Jesus, and that's kind of a hard thing to do in a social context. And then we have situations and circumstances where we're handed a mirror we don't want to see, like sabbatical, some reckoning happening there with me, my own self, which I'm not going to talk about now. But when we see things that we don't want to see, or things that are hard, like what do we do with that? Um, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed that's not faced. My sense is that the mirror offered to Simon is a mirror that is being offered to us as well, not for our destruction, not to leave us mired in distress, but to, for us to be able to take a long, loving look at what's real, to be able to see more truly. And that came out in the membership gatherings. And the purpose of that, at least the one that bookends for me for this particular passage, is that so that we might be able to join the beautiful, unnamed, brave enough, wise enough, vulnerable enough woman at Jesus' feet so that Jesus might actually say of us, see how they love. That's all I got. Thank you.